brought back a lot of memories. And we've, we're just so very thankful for all that you've done. Gift certificates, Sister Jan gave us two gift certificates to Olive Gardens. I know that you people don't think that Sister Grant and I eat well. I, can, I know that you can just look at me and tell. <laughs> but <laughs> I'll tell you. And then we had the card with the check in it, and Sister Grant and I wanted to buy something with the check that you gave us. So we went to Menards. They had their grills, uh, gas grills on sale, some that are almost $400 for $196. We took the check that you gave us and bought a gas grill and it took me all night long to put it together. <laughs> But uh, I, I really do love you people a lot, I'll tell you. You're just great. And all the wonderful things that we have seen in our services and the testimonies, the testimony that Brother Dave gave tonight, it just thrills my heart when I see God blessing someone. How many of you have been blessed already? My, look at the hands. God is so good. Well, I'd like for you to turn. Genesis 1, and I want to read three words of verse 3, and then you can be seated. Genesis 1, Genesis, the book of the beginnings. I do appreciate your prayers for my mom, Sister Rutherford and I are planning on making a short, quick trip down to Texas in the very near future. We feel that we need to go see her. She's just not doing well. But uh, I know with God's help, everything will be all right. Genesis 1, verse 3. Three words, and God said. And that's what I want to talk about. And God said. And you may be seated. Did you know that God has a habit of talking to people? He's in the habit of talking to people. Even sometimes when the conversation does not go well. (laughs) He really does. Now, I've seen people that, you know, people, everybody has their own personality. I... I look out across the congregation, I see some people that are very stern people, very stoic, uh, some that are re- real aggressive, some that are passive, some that are very gentle. I don't, Sister Sharon sung this song, and I, Sharon is one of six children, I think. Is that right? Now, I don't know this to be a fact, but when I saw her up here singing, I, I would guess with Sharon's personality, that she'd be able to just kind of slip in and talk with her dad and get just about anything out of her dad that she'd want. Now, that would be my guess. I don't know. Glenn's not here. And, oh, there he is. But uh, I could just see her in there and saying, you know, with her meek way, well, dad, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm right or not, but 
Glenn says, yes. <clears throat> now, well, you would have suspect that, wouldn't you? You would suspect that. Uh, there are others that I would suspect that when it comes to their parents that they expected very little from them. That they were quite independent. That they just wanted to make it on their own. I could call off some names. <clears throat> but that, that's not, uh, it's not a bad thing. Just everybody's different. Everybody's different. Now, God has a way of talking to all of us, and he seems to be able to relate to all of us in the way in which we need it. And he talks to us in the way in which we need it. Now, I've ran across uh, some Christians. I've run across a few people that have told me that God has spoken to them several times orally, just like I'm talking to you. And I've had others to say, why doesn't God do me that way? I'm convinced that God will speak to you and, to rel and relate to you in the way in which it is needed. In other words, if God needs to speak to you in an oral fashion, he is capable of, do it, of doing it and will. But that is not needed in everybody's life. Now, as many different avenues as I can possibly think of in which God talks to us, I would not want to minimize or accent one above the other. They're all important. Uh, it is so very important that that we receive letters. It's important that we get telephone calls. It's important that we uh, speak face-to-face -face with individuals. Uh, all of that is important. And the ways in which God talks to us. Now, I have spent time in the past, in the past talking about various ways. I just want to cover some of these ways. Um... God speaks to us through circumstances. You know, it's just like that the only voice that we hear is maybe the sudden or the situation at hand, whatever it is. Just It's like the circumstance calls to our attention something. It's there. Another way is God just gives us impressions. That is, he speaks to us inwardly through our minds. He also talks to us through his word. In other words, when I stand here and speak, God has a way of moving through this word to you. The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And you are no doubt aware that in this case, when it says faith cometh by hearing, it is taken and hearing by the word of God. The, the word uh, translated here is that God speaks to us through the rhema, that is the inner voice of God that accompanies many times the reading or even the verbalizing of, of the logos, which is the printed 
word that, that we have in our hands. In other words, if a preacher stood up and preached and God did not speak inwardly to you, confirming that word, what would take place in your life? Most likely nothing. Because that's how conversion occurs. One of the greatest passages of the Scripture that I find concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and His relationship to His disciples occurred after Jesus departed into the heavens. In Mark sixteen twenty. the Bible says, And He went everywhere with them, the Lord confirming His word with signs following. And so they were preaching the word. The Lord was working with them. Now, he was not with them physically, but he was with them in spirit, confirming his word. And, of course, if there's nothing preached, there's nothing to be confirmed. You know, when, when you're, this, this is something that, that we need to understand. In the case of Brother Bobby Updike, and he's been talking to me about his mother, it's just amazing that uh, since moving here, his brother has been baptized Filled with the Holy Ghost. His mother uh, has repented. She repented uh, a week or so ago down in Indiana. Uh, but the thing about it is that, that somebody had to go and talk to them. Somebody had to preach the word to them. It's also true of Brother Thomas. He's talking about his, his brother uh, Michael. He's been talking to Mike for a long time. Then all of a sudden it just... It's like the the sea the soul reaches a season in which it can be harvested, and when the season is ripe, and the conditions are there, and the circumstances are ideal, the soul can be harvested. But what would happen if somebody had not have preached? See, how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall he preach except he be sent? But you have to keep in mind that if God speaks through his word, then the word of the Lord must be spoken. So that the Spirit can accompany that word. And the reason why we do not have as many confirmations from the word of the Lord is because the word of the Lord is not preached. In other words, if you, if you don't preach anything, there's nothing to be confirmed. Now, that's, that's extremely important for us, us to understand. God speaks to us through dreams and visions and spiritual gifts. And then God speaks orally uh, to us. And God said, Now, if you turn to the book of Revelation, uh, the fourth chapter, and this is the time in which the church is caught away. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me. In other words, God's voice was sound like a trumpet to take us out of this world. Now, I listened to Brother Gemeinder play that trumpet when Brother Gilstrap was here. And I'll tell you, they make just a good pair, don't they? Where is Brother Gemeinder? Is he, is he in a class? He's sick, all right? 
was, you tell him, Sister Patty, that I said this publicly. I don't know if anybody can can play the trumpet any better than John Gemeiner. I'm telling you, he just... And when he, when he puts this, this thing in the end of it, looks like a smashed up pop can. That's not what it is, but <clears throat> mute. <clears throat> All right? When he puts a mute in the end of it, it just muffles the sound. I guess it does what the apparatus is named. Mutes the sound. It's, you can hear a little bit. Not much. But the Bible speaks of this voice that's going to speak to us. And the Bible says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Nothing muted about that. And I like it when Brother Commander just takes that smashed up pop can out of the end of it. And just blows. I'll tell you, it just... It does something. Now, God speaks to us that way. In fact, the last time that God will speak to you on this planet Earth, that is, before the millennial reign of Christ, will be when He calls us out of this world. And the first time that God speaks to you, it probably was not because all of you have been spoken to by God, it was not with this velocity, it was not with this aggression, but it was probably just a still, small voice that spoke inwardly to you when you were just a little tot. Just a little toddler. And down through the years, God has continued to speak with people. And I want to make this statement again. I believe that God speaks just as vividly to men today as he ever has. Now, in the book of Acts, the ninth chapter, when the apostle Paul was converted, God spoke orally to him. At least uh, the scripture indicates this. God spoke the same way to Moses through the burning bush in the wilderness. Back in the book of Genesis. Or Exodus, I guess it was. I'm in the wrong book now, but Exodus. Okay? So, as you look down through the, through the pages of the Bible, you see that God, in every generation, spoke to men, the way in which men needed to be spoken to. Sometimes God even speaks to people who are adverse to him and adverse to his ways. In Revelation 3, the last church age, this has to do with Laodicea. In the third chapter, verse 15 God speaks to Laodicea and says, I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold, or cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. Now, when God spoke to them, how do you think he spoke to them? you have any idea? Well, these were letters that 
that John had written to these churches. So even though John did the writing, it was a letter that came from God. Now all of these ways in which God speaks to us are so vital and so important. They are. And I just want to talk about a few things tonight just to build your faith. I know that this is a little contrary to the Christmas season. I would like to say this, however, you will find in the book of Matthew that when Jesus was obviously around two years of age or maybe less, when the wise men came, now I know that we, all of our Christmas stories and Christmas cards and such, show the wise men coming the night in which Jesus was born. That's probably not the case. And the reason why is because they saw his star. They first went to Jerusalem, and then they went to Bethlehem. Most likely, Jesus, at the time in which they went, was upwards of, well, he was under two years of age. I, I assume that because when Jesus was located by the wise men, the Bible says they found him at his house. Okay? So Jesus was found at his house, and Herod then sent forth a decree that all the male children in Bethlehem, two years and younger, were to be destroyed. So obviously... The wise men, commonly known as the Magi, did not attend the setting of the stable. Now, I see nothing wrong in us doing what we do on Christmas time, without that I mean showing wise men coming. Well, we really don't know, but we make that assumption. But the Bible says an angel of God came down and spoke to Joseph and told Joseph that he should take the young child and go into Egypt. Now, I'm saying this, and I believe that God will speak to parents about their children. I believe that with all my heart. And that's, that's kind of a, a different thing because the, the children of Israel had been in Egyptian slavery 435 years. Now, that was many years before the, the coming of the Lord. You, you know that. We're looking at 1,200 years back, all the way back to about 1,600 years. That's when they were in, in Egyptian slavery. But now, in order to be safe, get out of this land and go back to Egypt. And the, the remarkable thing about it is the angel did not tell Joseph how long to stay. The angel says, now you go back there and you stay until I come and talk to you again and tell you. And I'll tell you when I want you to leave and when to come back. And so he went there and stayed until Herod had died. And then the angel spoke again and said, now it's time to go back. And he did not go back. 
to the city that he left, but this time he went to Nazareth. So I think that that what the Scripture is saying to us, that, that regardless of what situation we're, we're involved in, when needed, God will give us the word that we need to see us through that particular crisis. And I've always been of the opinion, I've talked with people about this, if God does not speak to you and give you a directive, what you do then, you just exercise good, common stewardship. In other words, you just simply do what uh, you ought to do to exercise good stewardship. And stewardship's not just a matter of handling money. But in a case with parents... Uh, you just deal with your children according to the Word of God, whether it be discipline or, or whatever, whether it be instructing them in the, in the ways of the Lord or whatever. But God can, at any time He so desires, He can come down and pull rank on you as a parent and give you a directive, not against the Word of God, but I'm talking about when you don't know what to do and you're just trying to exercise good stewardship and, and just figure this out yourself. God can come down even after you've figured it out and said, oh no, that's not right. Go do something else. I have known of parents that have had dreams and about their children. My, my mind goes back to a little situation. I remember having a dream one time about my son. My oldest son, John, and I remember when we were in church, the Lord spoke to me and told me, he said, you need to go talk to your son, John, tonight. He was kneeling down on the side, was over in the old church. He was about where Brother Trinidad and, and Brother Vincent uh, are, and he was just kneeling down there praying. Well, I'd had this dream like four or five days before, and this dream was just so uh, I just knew when I had it. I saw my son. I saw all these scars on his face. And I knew he had been burned. And I says, oh my. And so it was like the Lord just gave me peace, though, that that I would be able to talk with him. Well, we had such a great move of the Lord. And he knelt down. He was praying. I went over and knelt down by him. And I put my arm around him. I said, son, I need to talk with you. I said, now, I saw you in a dream about four or five days ago. I don't remember the time, but it was about in, in that area. Now, here's what I saw. And I told him. I said, now, if you'll pray and walk softly before God and humble yourself, when this time comes, God will give you the directions to follow in order to prevent this. Well, John was driving his car down the road the very next day. And all of a sudden, it just went dead. He didn't know what, what had happened. And he coasted up to the curb. Would you believe when he raised the hood and he took hold of the battery cable, the battery blew up, just literally blew up and blew acid all in his face. And all over his clothes. Well, the very moment that it happened, he thought about what I told him. And he just said, Jesus, 
And he said, Dad, just like this, I heard water running. And he said, I'm not even for sure what kind of a fence was between me and the car, but across the sidewalk there was a fence. And he ran over there, hit the fence, and fell over the fence right into a water sprinkler. And this water sprayed his face real good. It never burned him. It did not burn his skin. And, and his clothes just had big holes in them. This, I mean, just in a, he said, Daddy, just in a second of time, I was on top of this water sprinkler. I've never seen anything like it. Now, isn't that great? Now, you see, these things, these experiences like this, surprisingly, would go with children all through their life into their grave. And it's things like that that even though you might consider sometime that uh, your child is not doing so well, and that had happened to John after that, but then he goes back to these type of experiences. And I knew when I saw it, I knew that was from God. I just knew that that was from, from God. I have had, uh, I know of four different dreams that, that were just about people that were just so definite. I mean, everything just so-so. And not too long ago, I had a dream about a person, and I, 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 at this point, nothing has happened. But I do know the person is in bad spiritual condition. I'm looking for the opportunity to talk to the person. It's not a person that that goes to church here, just a person I'm acquainted with. And I know the setting has to be right, but I've been praying that God would would allow a circumstance to happen so that I could be able to help the person because I believe the dream was from God. I remember uh, when I first started pastoring, I had uh, uh, a youth leader, and he was a very aggressive man, good man. But all of a sudden he... He had a lot of success in his ministry, and he got too big for his britches. Now, that's just a common phrase uh, when somebody gets puffed up, you know, and lifted up with pride. You've heard statements like that. That's just an old southern statement when people just get lifted up with spiritual pride. I mean, he just got to where he thought he was Mr. Somebody. I noticed when I'd preach. Just drop something. I noticed when I would preach that uh, he, he just wouldn't pay much attention to me. And when we'd worship, he didn't seem to be into it. But he was always having people over at his house. And when they were over at his house, he'd have a big worship service and such. Well, the, the situation got a little disturbing to me. And I tried my best to reach him, and I realized that, that he was out of my reach spiritually. But one night when I slept, the Lord gave me a dream. And I saw myself going to his house, and I remember sitting down, and I remember the whole setting there, you know, and, and I remember talking to him about this. And when I talked to him about it, I remember that, and he was a pretty large guy, I remember he just kind of pushed himself back in a rocking chair that he had there, and he laughed about it. And told me, he said, you just don't know what you're talking about. 
Well, at any rate, uh, things began to deteriorate in his walk with God, but he held on this position, and uh, he just wasn't praying, wasn't seeking the Lord. He wasn't even attending church as regularly as what he should. And so I prayed. I, I didn't know what to do. I thought, I need to go see him. So when I went to see him, when I walked in the house, and I had not been in this house, not the one he was living in before, to my amazement, when I walked in, now this is going to, this may sound a little bit spooky to some of you, but just hold on. This is, I'm just a normal, sane man. At least I think I am. I think I'm normal. But when I walked in this house, to my amazement, everything in that house was exactly the way I dreamed about it. They had redecorated the house in kind of country uh, uh, fashion. They had the round, the oval braided rug. And here was this rocker. So when I, I came in, the man said, would you like to be seated here? And, and he said, I always sit in the rocker. So when, when he, he went and sat down, his wife came in. I said, I need to talk to you. And uh, the, he'd already put the children to bed. He had two children. So I began to tell him about this, this dream. I said, now you need to listen to me because this is from God. And I went into this situation and how his walk with God was deteriorating and how that when he was in charge, he wanted everybody to cooperate, but he wouldn't cooperate himself. You know, and, and let me tell you something. This is very, what I'm talking about is, is a principle that everybody needs to understand. It doesn't make any difference if you're, if you're in charge of a prayer meeting, and of course you know that Brother Blake and Brother Thomas are most time in charge of prayer meetings. So I'm not saying this to, to reflect against anyone. I would not do, in other words, I'd go talk to you personally if I thought that, or if you're in charge of a class, or if you're in charge of the choir, or whatever, if you're up here singing, you know, if, if while you're up here singing, you want everybody to worship, but when you sit and somebody else sings and you don't worship, there's something wrong with you spiritually. In other words, if you can give advice to somebody else, and, and, and I, like to, I, I like to say this, that, that, that my response to a, a person's preaching should be the same as if I'm preaching. In other words, if I'm preaching and I want people to come to the altar and I want people to pray with them, then when I'm not preaching, that ought to be my role. You follow what I'm saying? And, and that's so important. So I began to go into all this line of logic with him. And before I got to the park about him laughing, he just said, hold it, hold it, hold it. And he just kind of pushed himself back and he started laughing. He said, this is the most absurd thing that I've ever heard of. And I called his name. I said, but here's the thing. I began to weep. I said, but you see, even in the dream... The furniture of this living room is exactly the way it was in the dream. I've never been in this living room before. And what you just did is the way you responded in the dream. And I feel now a directive from God to tell you some of the details of this so that you can find a place to humble yourself and pray about this. Well... I no more than left his house until he got on the phone was calling people and telling them. He said, now, and he accused me of making that up. Well, see, the, the, and the last time I was in Texas, I asked, I saw some of, of his relatives, 
And I asked, I said, how is, and I called his name. They said, well, he has not been in church for years. His wife goes, still goes. But he gives her problems every time she goes to church. He's just anti-God. Just everything. He claims now he doesn't even believe in a God. Now he's going to give her problems about it. You know, there's something about this atheistic movement I can't understand. I just want to tell you. You know, you, you, this Freedom from Religion Foundation, which is made up basically of atheists. And Gaylor and, of course, her daughter Annie. You know, I can't understand somebody spending all their life fighting something that they claim that does not even exist. Now you figure that one out. Now, that's how dumb that is. Well, I mean, why would a person spend all their life fighting something that they claim that's not? Now, you don't have to be very smart to figure that out, do you? That obviously they oppose something that they really do, do believe that is a valid force and a threat to them. But he's spending all of his life giving his wife a hard time. Now the tragedy of it is that the son that was in bed that night is not living for God. The daughter's not living for God. Another child came, and that child's not living for God. Isn't that amazing? It's just amazing. It's just amazing. Now... I want to talk a little bit about spiritual gifts and the reason why that I, I want to give this Bible study is because in the next few times in which I speak, I may even on Christmas Day talk about spiritual gifts. Now, if you have relatives who come to church, it's, what I'm going to say will not hinder in any way. It's amazing to me how interested people are when it comes to spiritual gifts. I believe that God speaks to us through... Tongues and interpretation, prophecy, and of course other spiritual gifts. Uh, if you would turn to 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 12, pardon me. Uh, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren. If you notice in your Bible the word gifts is in italics, which means it did not appear in the original. So it could read, now concerning spiritual or spirituals. Now, <clears throat> there's no doubt about it that it's safe to put the word gift in, or gifts in there because later on he's talking about gifts. All right? Now, this is what he said, I would not have you ignorant. Now, this is one thing about spiritual gifts, that spiritual gifts can operate when people are somewhat in the dark concerning spiritual gifts. This is why that regulations are placed on, especially the verbal gifts in, in 1 Corinthians 14. And you will find that God will sometimes use the less than perfect or the less than ideal to bring about a great truth to a person. He will do that even in spiritual gifts. Now, the ignorance concerning spiritual gifts, I do not classify it all as, a, as abuse. Some people are very innocent in what they're doing, and 
God uses that. I don't see any problem in that. I think I've explained this before. Not too long ago, I just gave an example of an individual who's maybe not even living for God. But he wants to reach somebody that would live for God. And surprisingly, I have known of situations where people were not living for God that actually witnessed to people because they knew enough about the truth. They witnessed, the people they witnessed to came out to church, were even brought by the people that did not know God, and the people that brought them went on their way and left their visitor serving God. You can't say God didn't use that testimony. Does that mean that person's life is right? Their testimony is altogether right? God uses the less than perfect sometimes to bring about His will. Now, this is what was happening in the Corinthian church. I think that's something that we really need to understand. Now, the Bible says there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. In other words, there are the Spirit speaks and works in many different areas and channels and avenues. But there's only one Spirit. Now, if you're talking to a person that, that goes to a charismatic church... You know, they like to say, well, I received the gift of the Holy Ghost, and later on I received the gift of tongues. But you will find a careful study of the Scripture that the word gifts here, or the word gift here, comes from a totally different Greek word than that that's found, uh, let's say, in Acts 8, where uh, Simon the sorcerer wanted to buy the gift with money. And the line of logic that was used by, by the Apostle Peter is, Simon, thy money perish with thee. To think that the gift of God can be purchased with money. If it's a gift, <laughs> it doesn't cost you anything. So the word gift there means a present, just like the, the, the Christmas present that you'll hand out on Christmas. It may have cost you something, and please understand that the gift costs God something. But it's given to you without charge, without cost. But the word gift here is, comes from an entirely different word. And the word charismatic comes from that same word. That's the reason why we have the, 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 the charismatic movement today. But the word gift here, coming from a different Greek word... It means special endowment or talent or abilities. So when we receive the gift, that is the present, with that comes special abilities. Now there's one thing about your, your uh, Exploring God's Word chart that, that I, I don't particularly like. Now, I helped put that chart together, but I had no, nothing to do with this lesson. When we turn this over to an artist, and he put it together, when they show spiritual gifts, they have all these packages. Have you noticed that in that chart? Well, truthfully, that should not be displayed like that. I just want to tell you this. I, t I talked to them at headquarters about it, but they had several thousand in print. You know, just an, an artist, you turn it over to an artist, and he's... Because you're talking about gifts, he, he makes these presents. Well, that's the concept that the charismatic movement has. In other words, I've got the gift of tongues. 
No, you have the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost gives you special abilities. In other words, you become gifted. Sister Sharon stood behind this pulpit and sung. I almost said preached. She sung. Brother Dave did the preaching. <laughs> Sister Sue played the organ. Sister Grant was over here on the piano. And then, of course, we had our singers. Now, you look on the, the wall, Sister Nelson uh, painted all the signs we have in here. And when you see people doing this kind of work, you say they're, they're gifted, they're talented, they have the ability. We see the Holy Ghost is the free present or the gift. It's not a gift from God, it's God Himself, the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's not a gift from God, it's the gift of God. It's God Himself to you. And when He comes to you, He gives you supernatural ability to sing, to preach, to play, to pray, whatever you're doing. Now, just as everybody on this planet Earth has a physical a talent, and I believe that everybody on this planet Earth, that God incorporated in nature special abilities so that the planet Earth can be maintained. And, and anybody's just sitting home drawing welfare and they say they can't do anything, that's a, that's a cop-out. They're just plain lazy. I mean, there is something they can do. And there's something they ought to be doing. <clears throat> Amen? Now you may say, it sounds like you're against welfare. Well, <clears throat> that's all right. I'm not against helping people that are in need. But I do think that it's a shame that so many people are encouraged not to do anything. That's what I'm talking about, okay? I just say that the system we have is less than, than, than perfect, needless to say. Now, <clears throat> if we have any person here that's drawing welfare and there is legitimacy in what you're doing, that's fine. But if you're just drawing it because you're too lazy to work, I resent that. I pay hard taxes to support you when you're not willing to do anything. And if you get God in your heart, what you'll do is get yourself a job and get off the welfare and help somebody else that hasn't received the light that you've received. That's okay. Might as well go ahead and give me a hand. I'm going to say it again real soon. So, All right. Now, with this one spirit, the one gift of God, comes many abilities and talents. And so the scripture says in verse 5, and there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Now you notice the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. Someone had the audacity not too long ago to tell me that the Bible teaches us plainly that there are two Lords. One of the Old Testament and one of the New. I couldn't believe that, but the, somebody said that. 
He's not corny. <clears throat> I mean, where do you get that? <clears throat> Verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. Now this, if you... Brother Gilstrap preached a marvelous message about miracles and such. I just want to point out something about spiritual gifts, though. And, of course, I'm not teaching this as an addendum to what he... I never even thought about it until now. To another, the working of miracles. Now, you notice there is a gift of faith, there's a gift of healing, and there's a gift of miracles. Obviously, they're different. Now, he explained... That many times when you're prayed for, that you're healed, but not right then. And you will notice in the scripture that, well, in Mark 16, and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall lay hands upon the sick, and they shall recover. Now, you notice the word recover. That denotes that a healing would take place. It does not mean that it happens at that moment in which you pray. But whatever the physical situation is in the body that blocks that healing, that is taken care of so that the person can recover. Now, see, there is a difference. Now, a miracle... I mean, it just happens. It, it goes against nature. It happens. But sometimes it is a healing. And then the gift of faith, which we say, we use the word miracle, but I would like to say that the gift of faith, as it's used here, relates to situations that you're praying for, separate and apart from those needs of your body or somebody else's body, such as Rich is praying for his brother. Brother Updike is praying for his brother and his mother. And you're praying for your relatives. So the gift of faith then is in operation. All right, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, divers kind in which he desires to speak to his church. And I think that that is extremely important. Now, this is one little thing that I want to cover. I'm going to close, and I'm going to pick this up. Uh, maybe Sunday afternoon, I don't know. If not, next But in James 5.14, we'll talk about healing. I'll just talk about this one. I, I think that this is, is very, very important. I have uh, taught this at, at, in a few ministers' meetings. I, I have mentioned in a couple of camp meetings because this is something that was called to my attention. That is, that I need to say something about it. Uh, James 5.14, uh, the Bible says, I'm in verse, chapter 4, is any, among, is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, what I think that Scripture is talking about here, 
And, and, and I, I think this, this goes with the gift of healing. I believe that, that God allows us as parents, allows us as spiritual authorities in our home to be the priest, the minister, so to speak, in our own home. I think that if there's someone in your home that's sick, you should pray for them. Uh, I think if your children are sick, you should pray for them. Now, the amazing thing I find in the Scripture, that this, the anointing of oil, is kind of an isolated situation. Now, I, I do not oppose people that anoint with oil every time they're prayed for. Or they're praying for someone. I don't oppose that. But I'm saying that I don't think it's necessary. Now, let me explain why, Okay. In this case, obviously, if you if you look at the context, um, the Bible says, uh, it talks about people falling into condemnation, verse 12, and is any among you afflicted, let him pray. Is any merry, let him sing song, psalms. Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Now when he's prayed for and he's healed, the Bible says, the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, I've taught this for many years. I, I, I think it's the proper route. Anytime you get sick, the first thing you need to do is what? Repent. Okay? doesn't mean that you're sick. It just simply means that repentance is always a safe route for anyone. Because <clears throat> you will find that when you start repenting, you may say, repent of what? Maybe you don't know. But see, it's hard to separate submission, humility, and repentance. As far as the actual deed. You know. And, and you know. Pride is of the devil. There are no humble devils. I, I just like to tell you that. Okay. And so when you, you humble yourself. You find that in this. Submission. And in this humility. You'll find, you'll find that, that you develop the proper. Attitude toward God. That he is Lord. And that He rules over your life. And he sustains your life. And He gives you life. And He keeps you. And He cares for you. And you will find that automatically with this, you'll catch yourself saying, And Lord, if I have done anything to offend you. Isn't that amazing how you, you begin to, your respect for God, your fear for God, how you revere Him, it begins to just escalate, grow. Now, I think that what James is talking about is, you know, we don't have record of the apostles going around just anointing people with oil at random. I think they prayed for people at random, but not the anointing of oil. I think that that has kind of become more of a, what should I say, a tradition. Uh, if, if that word offends you, then... Maybe you should look it up in the dictionary and find a better word for what I'm using. But I'm using that because I think it, it, it properly categorizes what... It's become a tradition. In other words, we think that we have to have a bottle of oil to pray for someone. I don't oppose that. Some traditions are okay. But I'm saying that, that you must understand that it, it's not in the oil. Now, that's not what heals you. Don't put your faith in the oil. See, the problem with some traditions, people get to place, placing too much faith in what they're doing as opposed to in God himself. I think that normally when you pray for people, 
that you should not use oil. You should just pray for them. However, if there is something that's blocking their healing, in other words, you prayed a time or two and they're not getting healed, it is then time for them to seek out the elders. Now, the purpose of the elders, I think, is so that the elders can anoint with oil. In other words, when you come before the elders to be anointed with oil, you put yourself, I mean, on the line. Basically, what you're saying is, look, I've been sick. I'm not for sure why. You pray for me so that you can help me discern what's wrong. Maybe I've done something. Maybe I've offended someone. Maybe something's not right. I remember uh, a sister in our church, and uh, uh, she came, and, and she said, I want, I want you to pray for me, and I need to be anointed. Well, I took an anointed with oil, and the moment I anointed with oil, the Lord spoke to me. Hmm. So I just stopped, and of course nobody knew. I was not going to put her on the spot. I said, I need to talk with you. And she began to weep. She said, ah, I knew that you knew, Brother Green. I knew that you knew. And I told her, I said, now here's what you've done. And she said, yes, I, I've done that. She had missed two weeks. She was sick, she said, with the flu. And this, this sister wept and cried, and she asked God to forgive her. The Lord healed her on the spot, and she went back to work the next day. Now, after church, I just talked with her briefly, and she said, I'm glad you said this, because it had been bothering me, and I didn't know what to do about it. Well, see, not only was she healed, but she was forgiven. Because it was in that prayer that, that, that I prayed, and, and, and the elders gathering around, and her confessing, <laughs> you notice what it goes on, is confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that you may be healed. I hope I'm not knocking anybody's socks off. <clears throat> but I'm just simply saying that, hey, you know, God has so designed in His Word a plan that if you're honest and you're upright and you want to go to heaven, He's surrounded you with a support group that you can't escape from. In other words, you're not just left out there in limbo at the uh, forever devil that comes around to pick on you. Because there's enough spiritual support for you to make it to heaven if you're sincere and you want to make it to heaven. There's enough. And you know, I remember, I remember praying in a larger meeting. In fact, it was up at our camp. And a man came up and he says, I, I need to be prayed for and... And I don't know why I said it. Brother Thomas, I have no idea. Except that God. When I lay hands on him, I said, now what's wrong with your foot? And he looked up at me and said, who told you I had problems with my foot? I said, well, nobody told me. When I told, this man just began to weep and cry. I said, well, tell me about it. Well, he had hurt his foot because he got, got mad and kicked something. So, 
you know, I just simply talked with him about this. I said, now, you just need to pray. You need to repent. Now, why I said this, I don't know. I never even thought about it. But I anointed him with oil. He was claiming his healing. I didn't go back later on. He was not from our church. So I didn't go back later on to ask him about it. But it is amazing, see, how much help you get from God. Sometimes God speaks to you for yourself. Sometimes he speaks to somebody else for you. Why? Because sometimes we're just not in a position. We need somebody else to talk to us. But we can't disregard the fact that God does speak to us. Now, I'm over my time already, so I'm going to have you to stand, if you would. And I want to, I've got several other situations, several other things. I want to talk about tongues, interpretation, and prophecy, but I can't do it tonight. But aren't you glad that you're involved in the work of the Lord? And that God really cares for you. Now, I'm not trying to diametrically oppose any of the teachings of the United Pentecostal Church about this oil business. You understand that. I'm just telling you what I think the Scripture teaches. In fact, uh, I've been called on by several men on the general board to uh, about this. Uh, I, I just, and, and I, don't want, I don't want to stand here saying, well, you should look at me when I say this in a different light than your own local church pastor, but you have to understand, I am one of the elders of our church, and <laughs> this is something that we have discussed. I see nothing wrong with this lay, uh, laying on of hands with oil, but I will say this. I do know of people that, that they get so hung up on oil that they, they, they fail to look at the God that does the healing. I think the oil was used in this case in order to help people through a particular troublesome time in which they were having a crisis problem in, in health. Now, I don't think that God heals everyone. Remember us going over to Grandma Baldwin's house. Grandma Baldwin was well up in her 80s. She'd been in and out of the hospital. We prayed. We sought the Lord. Every time she'd go to the hospital, we'd pray. We, had, we fasted. We sought the Lord. She'd come back home. And we'd stop praying like this. She'd back in the hospital. She did this for a year, maybe two years. And I told my wife, I said, you know, I believe that it is possible. You, you may think, you know, sometimes you think, well, why isn't God healing? Sometimes it's not God's will to heal. Now, I know that that's, that'll cross some of your theology, but... If you could keep people alive indefinitely with prayer, we could overpopulate the earth. Remember, the original curse is, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. And at the same time, death was pronounced unto all men, bodily death too. So I told my wife, I said, you know, while people of our church are praying that we would have more power with God so that she'd be healed, I'm wondering if it isn't the power that we have with God that's keeping her alive and maybe God doesn't want to do this. I said, no, I don't really know how to approach her about this. But we went over to her house and it was around, well, it was around Halloween time because we were doing some trick-or-treating. She made a statement about trick-or-treating. So we went in and I remember as she was resting on the sofa and, and I said, now, Grandma Ball, when I need to talk with you, 
I said, you lived for God for a long time now. I said, we've been praying for your healing. Do you actually want to be healed? And she said, uh, I think I know what you're talking about. I've given a lot of thought to this. She said, I lived a good full life. And truthfully, I think it's the will of God for me to go to God's house now. I said, would you like for us to change our prayers from heal her to God? Would you have your way with her? She said, Brother Grant, I've got my bags packed and my mind's made up. I'm going to spend eternity with the Lord. And she said, I'm a broken down older lady now. So I knelt down by her as she lay on the sofa there. And Sister Grant knelt down too. And we lay hands on her and prayed, God, just have your way with her. And when we left out, truthfully I felt more comfortable about that prayer after talking with her than I ever visualized I would. You know what happened? For some of you old timers here, you know. The next day she was taken to the hospital. Within a matter of a day or so, she had passed on to be with Jesus. I personally believe it was our prayers that were keeping her alive. And God was telling us all the time. I'm calling her. I want her. She's been faithful. She's lived her life. Now you may not understand that, but... For a Christian, you see, death is not a penalty. It's an asset. It's called gain in the Scripture. For me to die is gain. And so that's what we prayed that day. And I think that came about as a result of the elders, so to speak, discerning what was going on in this situation. Now, you may say, well, I'm going to be afraid for Brother Grant to pray for me. I may end up dying. <laughs> I don't think anybody should ever be afraid of the will of God. If you're afraid of the will of God, you probably will not ever walk on streets of gold anyway. Oh, I don't even know how to end this, but I do know how to end a message. You know how you do that? Stop talking. Okay? Everybody like to pray. <laughs> Once you find a place to pray. <laughs> I've enjoyed this with you tonight. <laughs> Let's give the Lord a big hand clap. Would you do that? Aren't you glad you know him? <clears throat> That's it. Find a place to pray. Oh, God is good. Praise God. Anyone that would like to receive the baptismal Holy Ghost, why don't you step out and come on down to the front? My, we have people here that will pray with you, seek God with you. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Isn't God good? No mm.
That's it. Believe Him tonight. Pour your heart out to Him tonight. Okay. 